Thank you for joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and shalom. My name is Ephraim Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and welcome to our BeniShalom.tv broadcast. From our family to yours, thank you for inviting us into your home each and every week uh, where we can study the word of the Lord from the Torah portion and also worship his name and set apart this weekly Sabbath. Uh, right now it is April 12th, and a couple of announcements that we have for this week. Um, we still are anticipating, um, we're looking forward to our Shavuot uh, Feast of Weeks conference that's taking place in Dallas, Texas. You can go to ShavuotEvent.com, and you can still register your family there. And we look forward to meeting everybody there for that appointed time. And uh, we'll be at the Wyndham Dallas Suites Park Central uh, there at that hotel. And so if you are in the area, uh, we hope that you will join us for that appointed time. Registration for our Feast of Tabernacles event is also open as well. You can go to TabernaclesEvent.com and register your family there. Um, there in Chandler, Oklahoma, where we hold a multi-day feast with evening programs filled with worship and teaching, workshops, dance workshops, um, kids programs, youth programs, toddler care. We have, it's our biggest event of the year, and uh, we look forward to all the brethren that will join us uh, there for that appointed time as well. A few other things we have going on right now. Um, we are having a, an, an event asset fundraiser uh, right now. One of the things we're trying to do to be better stewards of the Lord's resources, um, this ministry is now looking to purchase some of the assets that we usually rent for our events. These would include like a sound system, a shower trailer that we use at the Feast of Tabernacles. We're running a fundraiser right now. You can go to llgive.com for all of the details, and we hope that you would be able to give to, um, to us so that we can purchase these items and that we can continue to serve the Lord year after year without having to rent those um, those pieces of equipment every single year. The rent has continually gone up. The vendors continue to raise prices. And so to be better stewards of the Lord's resources, we're looking to invest in some of these assets for the ministry. So we hope that you would um, prayerfully consider uh, giving to this ministry to help support us in that cause. Uh, one other thing also, I and my family will be going on a teaching tour on the West Coast coming up in August. We still don't have details on the dates, uh, but keep your uh, ear to the ground for any details for that if you happen to be in the states of uh uh, New Mexico, Arizona, California, Oregon, and Washington State. Um, there'll be some speaking engagements uh, that will be announced shortly, and uh, we look forward to seeing you out there on the road. Once again, thank you for joining us for this broadcast, and we now let us set apart the Sabbath with the Kiddush and the family blessings. Shabbat Shalom. 
We're the Judah family, and welcome to our home. Please join us as we welcome in the Sabbath. who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. And now the Hamotzi, blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz We give thanks to God for bread Our voices rise in song together As our joyful prayer is said Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Hamotzi Lechem Min Haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Now, husbands, let's bless our wives. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wives that you have given to us. We thank you for giving us wives of Proverbs, Lord. Father, I pray that you would pour out a special blessing upon my wife this Sabbath day. I pray that you would encourage her and strengthen her in all the things that she does here in our household. As she takes care of the children, as she teaches them and educates them, as she takes care of our home, I pray, Lord, that she knows how valuable she is and how her worth is far above jewels. I thank you for the wonderful blessing that she is to me, to our children, to our household, and I pray you pour out a special blessing upon her on this Sabbath day. We thank you, Lord, in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. And now we will bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. Amen. Now we bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. 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 Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Bahu et Arunai Hamvorach. 
Baruch Adonai Havarach Le'olam Vahed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Micha Mocha. Micha Mocha Ba'elim Adonai Micha Mocha Nedahar Ba'chodesh Nohora Techilot who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, Lord, there is none else. You are awesome in praise, doing wonders, O Lord, who is like you. Amen. And now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Elheinu melech ha'olam, asher natan lanu et derech ha'yeshua b'mashiach Yeshua. All together. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru v'nei Yisrael et ha'shabat, la'asot et ha'shabat l'adrotam barit olam, b'nei avayom b'nei Yisrael otit le'olam, k'shashet yamim asadonai et ha'shamayim v'et ha'aret v'yom ha'shavi shavat v'inafash. All together. The children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuto Le'olam Vayed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'achavta. Ve'achavta et Adonai Ochecha b'chol levavcha uv'kol nashicha uv'chol meodecha v'heyu hadevarim ha'ale asher nechim e'zavcha hayom alevavcha v'shinantam lavenecha 
All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. Let's open with prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to gather together with friends and family. Father, to come together and worship you as like-minded brethren, Father, that we would just come, that we would acknowledge what you've done in our lives, that we would put you first, Father, that we would love you with all of our heart, Father. Teach us those ways, Father. Let us love our neighbor, those here, those not, Father. Just teach us how to be what you want us to be, Father, as a community and as, as believers, Father. We just thank you so much. goodly thy tents O Jacob thy tabernacle Israel how how goodly Thy tents, O Jacob, thy tabernacle, Israel, and in thy great compassion, I will come into your house. There I will bow, there I will feel thy holiness, O Lord, thy Oh, 
If you would please turn your Bibles to the book of Leviticus, to chapter 14, where our Torah portion will begin for this week. And as you open the scripture, I will do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bachabanu Mechol HaAmim Venatan Lanu Et Torato Baruch Adonai Nonten HaTorah Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, Giver of the Torah. Amen. Our Torah portion this week is entitled Metzorah, uh, which comes from Leviticus 14, and it is the passage of Scripture that talks about the law of cleansing the leper. Metzorah is the is the leper, and it is, I talked last week about leprosy, and that in the Hebrew there is a word called a zara, which represents any manner of skin affliction. And that this is the thing that physically our bodies can have a reaction to sin, to uncleanliness. And I talked last week talking about how it's not so much about the skin affliction on this entire subject as much as it is spiritually what's going on inside of us when a Zara or this what's translated as leprosy would break out. It's not necessarily about the, uh, the leprosy. Again, there's multiple diseases, and when you hear the word leprosy, you think of these sort of these, this terrible skin disease where you have, you know, flesh just dying and limbs falling off and just complete incurable, uh, just disgusting looking things. When in truth of fact, the leprosy of the scripture, a Zara, could have been any manner of skin affliction. Not only was it a skin affliction, it also could afflict a garment or a household. And that there was, a, I mean, you could picture kind of mold breaking out inside of a house to which then the priest would go and declare a house to be unclean. And so this is more than just a disease. This is actually something that is shows on the outside the sin or the uncleanliness that could be on the inside. The rabbis of Israel say, have said for many years that it's like there's anything associated with sin or uncleanliness is what can cause a Zara to break out. It's, it's this association, and I talked last week also about being so careful with what we say, the words that we speak, and that what we would speak over somebody, and that it's like when you put somebody down, when you uh, insult somebody, when you ostracize somebody with your words, it's as if you're casting leprosy on them so that they would be banished from the camp. But what happens in those sort of situations is that if you ever get gets found out that you lied in the course of saying that, or that you were the one that started the rumor, or you were the one that started the gossip, what in turn happens is the leprosy comes upon you, and you're the one who becomes ostracized. Because then within your own community, you then are proven yourself to be a liar. You can't be trusted. The things that you say are untrue, and you yourself will be cast out as if a leper was cast out of a community and then has to go and dwell in a leper colony with all the rest of the liars. And so this is the thing that we have to be pay very close attention to in our own personal spiritual lives. It's more, again, more than just a skin affliction. Now in chapter 14 here in Leviticus, this is now uh, the passage of scripture that talks about the cleansing of a leper. Now, in ancient times, as well as even today, this idea of these skin afflictions or this leprosy, nobody knew how to make somebody clean. There wasn't, um, there, there weren't all of the pharmaceutical, the top, um, 
the topical creams and things that we have that somebody could use that would minimize the symptoms of any sort of skin affliction. They didn't have that back in ancient times, and there's still certain kinds of skin diseases that are incurable, even to this day. And so this idea of a leper being cleansed was a miracle in ancient times. It was not believed that this was even possible, that that leprosy could be clean or could be cleansed. The priests themselves who made the declarations, they could not make somebody clean. They simply were the authority that declared them either clean or unclean. And so this idea that when somebody was declared unclean, they were cast out of the camp. And then it's like, well, now what? They, when, when somebody had leprosy, they had to go dwell in a leper colony or, or, or be cast out of the camp. And it was the equivalent of a death sentence. Those per- you wouldn't see that person anymore. You wouldn't uh, associate with that person anymore because you wouldn't, uh, in ancient times, you were, un- you were forbidden to touch them. You'd become unclean as well. You didn't know if this thing would spread. And so it th- was this equivalent of a death sentence for somebody to be declared a leper. Then... Let's say ever, if there ever was a time, which there actually was, that then a leper was then made clean again. He came back to a priest and the priest met with him and he looked at him, he looked him over, examined him. And suddenly the leprosy that he once had was gone. And then he could come back into the camp. And then that was the equivalent of a resurrection. Somebody who's been raised from the dead, who's been left for dead, basically has now alive again and is brought back into the community. This idea of the cleansing of the leper, this is, the, this is a pretty profound spiritual concept here. That through this teaching, somebody is brought back from the dead. Now, the rabbis who studied these passages for many years, they truly don't understand all the procedure and what's the reason for all of the different things and all the procedure for the cleansing of the leper. They themselves have admitted they don't really understand this. But what they do say is this. They do say that when the Messiah comes, he would explain, he would be the answer, and he would be the means by which a leper would be cleansed. The rabbis say that. These are the ones who obviously don't believe that Yeshua of Nazareth was the Messiah. But they have looked at this and they said, who can cleanse the leper? Oh, that's a job only the Messiah could do. So that's what they say. Well, for those of us that are New Testament believers, we agree 100% that it was the Messiah who can who revealed what all of this was all about. This idea of cleansing the leper. Now, here in our passage, there was a very elaborate procedure, very fascinating here. Let me go ahead and read here the first part of chapter 14, and you'll start to get some of the idea of what's going on here. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed, Two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, hyssop, and the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. And as for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop, and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. 
And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair and wash himself in water that he may be clean. After that, he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside of his tent seven days. But on the seventh day, he shall shave all the hair off of his head and his beard and his eyebrows, all his hair shall be shaved off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water, and he shall be clean. It then continues on in verse 10. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, and then it continues on with another procedure. So what we have here is this, a very elaborate procedure that not only is he declared clean for this period of seven days, but then on the eighth day, there's then a whole series of sacrifices that are made. And I'll go ahead and paraphrase here as it continues. These two sacrifices are then killed. And some of the blood of the sacrifice is put on the, the one who is to be cleansed, his right ear, his right thumb, his right big toe. As I'm starting to describe this, you're starting to maybe think, if you've been paying attention to the Torah cycle for the last couple of weeks, there's a similar procedure that's going on here. If you go back to the Torah portion of Shemini, which is on the eighth, the eighth day, we had a whole elaborate procedure about the consecration of Aaron to be the high priest that all sounded very similar to this. He was consecrated with his sons for seven days in the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting. And on the eighth day, there was then a whole bunch of sacrifices to which some of the blood of the sacrifice was put upon his right ear, his right thumb, his right big toe. And there's also a log of oil that's going to be here, uh, that a, an amount of oil that's going to be used to anoint the cleansing of leper. This also happened back with the high priest. This is, there's an amazing parallel to the, the anointing and the consecration of the high priest to the cleansing of the leper. It's fascinating that you're taking somebody who was once basically dead, who is, who was greatly unclean, and then you are doing a procedure that you only do for the high priest? I mean, similar sacrifices, similar anointing of the oil, similar to these things. You are taking what has, this, is, this contributes to this idea of this being like a resurrection, where you're taking somebody who is the lowest of the low and then doing sacrifices that are only done for the highest of the high amongst the, in the society. The high priest, the one who is the intercessor between God and the people, and you're doing this for this person. It contributes to this idea of this is a this is a resurrection. This is a great resurrection, going from the lowest of lows to basically exalting to as high in status as one could possibly go. This is a fascinating procedure. Now, one of the things that's interesting here, the, the leper was outside of the camp. It says that if he is ever to be healed, he's to come to the priest, but the priest has to meet him halfway. He's got to come halfway and meet him because they still have to meet outside the camp. He can't just come right back into the camp and say, hey, I've been cleansed. And he comes and flags down a priest in the temple. Didn't work that way. What it was was there was messengers and, 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 and there was a conversation that had to go. And then the, then the priest had to go and then meet him to check him out kind of interesting here and it was then he was looked over and then he was declared that he had been cleansed not that the priest cleansed him but that he has appeared to be healed 
Then he comes back into the camp, but he's not allowed to go into his tent, which is kind of strange. He's to then sleep on his lawn for seven days, and he's to shave off all of his hair. And he's, so he would be this very interesting spectacle for seven days of a guy laying out uh, in front of his tent, and that this would be something that, the, that society and the community around would, would recognize something special is going on here. Something's a little bit different about this man. Now, most people would, if they were neighbors or knew who, who it was, that was the other thing that was common in the day, is that you knew who were the lepers. They, they, they would record this. They would know of the people of the land. You, when somebody became a leper, they'd be like, oh, yeah, you remember uh, so-and-so, that guy. is like, oh, yeah, he caught leprosy, and then he's outside the camp. People would know this. So then when the guy came back, first of all, if he shaved off all of his hair, they wouldn't quite recognize him right away. They'd be like, who, who, who are you or whatever. It's like, I'm this person here. It's like, oh, my gosh, you're the person. You're, you, 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 you've been healed? It's like, yes, I've been, I've been made clean. I'm in the process of doing the cleansing. I'm getting the sacrifices ready, and I'm going to be declared clean again. What a, what, a situ, what a rejoicing time this would be for the, for the community, for the people. But in ancient times, this didn't really happen because who can cleanse a leper? The sages say that when a leper might be cleansed, that that would be a sign that the Messiah has come. That's what they say. That's what the sages of Israel say. Now, they don't necessarily believe or trust that Yeshua of Nazareth was the Messiah, and they might not believe the stories and the records that we have recorded in the New Testament of lepers being cleansed, but they would say that it's like this would be a sign of the Messiah. Now, for us who, of course, who are Messianic, we believe in Yeshua of Nazareth, and we believe that the, the, the Gospels, the account that are in the Gospels, is true. That he did come and that he did cleanse the leper. Now, that's not to say that we, that we wonder or question that, how do we know that it's the Messiah that's going to be doing the cleansing? Well, when you think about it here, if somebody contracted leprosy or had a Zara or something that was on them, that you would always wonder and say, well, what sin is in their life? What caused that Zara to break out onto a certain person? The only person that knows truly what and distinguishes between unintentional and intentional sins and what would be the reason and would be able to judge why the leprosy has broken out that's a job only God can do. Only God can know the thoughts and the intents of someone's heart and what the true reason for the Zara to break out on someone. Only he can know this. Only he can answer this. That's why the priests were never allowed. It says that they simply declared with somebody to be clean or unclean. It's not like they become counselors and suddenly would talk to them and say, well, now, what did you do in your life that caused that to break out? We, we need to get to the bottom of that. No, it wasn't their job to do that. Because no one can, can truly know the thoughts and intents of somebody on the inside. What's going on on the inside? Something looks bad on the outside. We're wondering what's going on on the inside. The only person that can know that is God. And so that's why the Messiah is the only one that could know this sort of thing. The Messiah from God. The Messiah who is God. Now, it's recorded in all three synoptic gospels, the cleansing of the leper. It was one of the first miracles. It was the first miracle, if you're going chronologically in the book of Matthew, right after he finished the Sermon on the Mount. 
right after he gave what I like to call the best Torah teaching that's ever been given in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. In Matthew chapter 8 at verse 1, this is when a leper came and approached him. It's also recorded in Mark chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 5. Let me go to, I like the account that is in Mark. So let's go ahead and go there to Mark chapter 1. Where the gospel is, is quickly describing some of the, the first parts of the Messiah's life. And it jumps right in here early on in the story of his ministry. Here in Mark chapter 1 starting at verse 40. Now let me read this. Now a leper came to him, came to the Messiah, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. So here, obviously, with this idea, this teaching that only the Lord and only the Messiah can, can make somebody clean, this person obviously is confessing their idea and their faith in that Yeshua of Nazareth is the Messiah. Because he's speaking to them and saying, You're the one who can make me clean. So he pleads with them. Then, then Yeshua moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he has strictly warned, warned him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go on your way. Show yourself to the priest. And offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and became to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter. So Yeshua could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in the deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Interesting. He told him. Now, this is this is a great passage to take to anybody who ever might think that Yeshua came and was teaching and came to change or alter or do anything different than the commandments of Moses. That's like the, the Messiah himself, you know, that a lot of people say he came to do away with the law. Well, that doesn't really jive with this particular passage because the first thing that the Lord told the leper after he had cleansed him, he says, go show yourself to the priest. And prepare to offer all the things just as it is described in the law of Moses. Yeshua didn't come to do away with anything. It's like he would have then said, he said, go away freely. You know, you don't need to see the priest according to the law of Moses. No, he says, keep Torah. Keep Torah. That's what he's teaching. That's what, it's what he, he, he's, he's doing here. Now, one of the other things that's extremely fascinating about this is that Yeshua touched the leper. He touched him. Now, according to the law of Moses in Scripture, this would have made Yeshua unclean. Now, wait a minute. We're talking about the Messiah here. Where everybody knows the Messiah had to be pure and spotless without blemish. He had no sin in him. So then what we must reason, you can draw a couple of conclusions. One, he wasn't really the Messiah and he became unclean and he wasn't. And so and so he did have sin and he did sin and he's not the Messiah. That's one conclusion some would draw. I wouldn't recommend that one. How about this one instead? What if we don't have the truest understanding of what clean and unclean is and that it's not necessarily the same as sin? See, sin, all commanders of sin are unclean. Sin is unclean. When you, when, you, when you break the law of according to Moses and you do something that is contrary to Scripture, then you become unclean. 
But then there's other parts of Scripture that talk about things that will make you unclean. That's not necessarily sin. Let me give you an example. A dead body, a dead corpse, and you happen to touch it. Maybe it's a loved one that has passed away and you happen to, to, to touch the body and you become unclean. Did you sin by touching that? Would you really call that or classify that as sin? Every time a woman becomes unclean at her time of the month, is that sin? We have to sort of reason this out. And a lot of people want to say, and, and this is actually maybe an issue that people uh, have argued with, you know, these commandments. When they read in the Torah and they're like, oh, a woman becomes unclean when it's on the time of the month. What did she do? Why, why is that a sin? The, Lord, the Bible says that's a sin. That, that shouldn't be a sin. Why am I following this rules and commandments of what sin is? Because I don't think that's a sin. Well, what if we were able to clarify the teaching a little bit more and say, you're right. That is not sin as we would define sin to be. But it is unclean. There are, there's a distinction here between these things. First of all, let's think about this. The Messiah... Was a, we say he was pierced for our transgressions and our iniquities, and he took, he, he bore our burdens, our sin. He took our uncleanness upon him so that it would be removed from us. See, that was the thing about some of these things with, with leprosy is that leprosy could move from one person to the other. It could be transferred or transmitted to, to another person. It was contagious. And so this idea and this idea of, of cleansing is that there is a scriptural precedent for somebody being cleansed and the person doing the cleansing becomes unclean. That actually comes at a later passage of scripture in the commandments and the sacrifice of the red heifer comes in the book of Numbers. And we'll get to that at some point in time. That in the course of the sacrifice of the red heifer, by the way, there was a couple of materials that were there present in that sacrifice. Scarlet wool, uh, hyssop, and cedar were all used for that. Same thing as in the cleansing of the leper. There's a connection here between those two types of sacrifices. And there was this idea that those that the sacrifice was made, the, the, the red heifer was burned, burned up completely. Then the ashes of the red heifer were then put into water and then used to cleanse somebody. So that they might be clean. And the person who did the sprinkling, they became unclean. See, this is what Yeshua did. Yeshua, when he touched the man and he told him to be clean, and that it doesn't describe physically what happened to Yeshua when that happened. Now, I don't believe that he broke out in leprosy. But what he did is he took the uncleanness of the leper upon himself. Because he had to bear those things. If he was incapable of becoming unclean, then how can be he be the one that cleanses us? How can he take those burdens upon us? This is what the Messiah did. That's what, this, is, this is what he did for us. And he cleansed us in the process. This is why, this is how the Messiah, in his sacrifice and all of these things, this is how it connects to the idea of the leper being cleansed. I also believe when it comes to that cedar wood, that scarlet wool, and that hyssop, is that I also believe those things were present at the sacrifice of the Messiah. We know the hyssop. The hyssop was used to take the sponge and the, give him a drink when he was on the cross. And that there, we knew there was red material because there was a great amount of blood in the course of that crucifixion. I always was curious if the crossbar of the cross was actually a big cedar plank. 
And so that if that be the case, then if at the Messiah's crucifixion, all three of those materials were present at that sacrifice. That again also would connect all of these things together as well. Also, did you notice that when I was describing that procedure that during the course of the sacrifice, one of the birds was to be slain over running water, over living water, Mayim Chaim, and that water was to be poured over it as it was cut. And so you would have this mingling of blood and water in the course of this sacrifice. Well, in Messiah's crucifixion, there was also a mingling of blood and water when his side was pierced with a spear and outflowed blood and water, which was a miracle in and of itself. Because even somebody who was, um, if you've ever studied the, the science behind the crucifixion, there's no way that he would have had that much blood and that much water in his body that it could actually flow in that way. And so this was another miracle. And everybody's always wondered, what is this blood and water business? Well, what it actually connects to is it connects to this sacrifice right here. That there was that he was a sacrifice that was used for the cleansing of someone who was unclean. So out came blood and water, just like in this procedure. Out came blood and water. This is how the Messiah filled up full of meaning every single one of these sacrifices and how his crucifixion is associated with the cleansing of those that are unclean. Now, this isn't the only story about lepers. Especially from the Gospels in Luke chapter 17, we have the healing of the ten lepers. The ten lepers that called to him. And he, he cleansed them. And he made them well. And then he told them, go to the priest. Go show yourself to the priest. But what happened there is only one, one came back to thank him. And when one came back and he, he said, well, weren't there ten that were cleansed? And then what he said to the one who happened to be a Samaritan... He was a foreigner. He, he was not the one who had the, the temple rites there in Jerusalem or whatever. He was a foreigner, was the one that actually came back and thanked him. And then he said, go, go on your way. And so that was an interesting little part of the story as well, was that the foreigner he spoke to, he told him he didn't have to go to the priest. Well, why? Well, because if some foreigner showed up, on the, near the temple or came and sent word and said, I used to have leprosy and now I don't. Well, as a foreigner, how would we know or how would any of the people in Israel be able to verify his story? He wasn't known to be somebody who was in the kingdom. He wasn't known to be a leper. So he could be lying. He could be saying something and then he's going to go through this procedure of being cleansed when we don't really even know. No, the, see, the, the sacrifice for one being cleansed was reserved for somebody who was a part of the community but then was cast out because then the priest had to de could declare him to be clean and he had already been declared by a priest to be unclean. If you have a foreigner who had leprosy, he was never declared unclean in the first place by a priest. So there's this connection here to, to truly go through this procedure of being cleansed, you had to already be a part of the family of God, a part of the commonwealth of Israel, that you went through this process of becoming clean. This actually connects to the Haftor portion of this, of this uh, Torah portion here. And that comes from second kings in chapter five this is the story of a man named naaman that was a, a, an assyrian general 
that this was when Assyria and Israel had had conflicts before. And this man, Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, he was a great, he was an honorable man in the eyes of his master, as is described in Second Kings chapter 5. And that he was a mighty man, but he was a leper. Okay, this is, this is interesting here. So, so here in this kingdom, this was a great man that was here, but he had leprosy. And so what happened is that there was a captive from Israel that was there amongst the Assyrians. And then she was the one that said to him, to her, to the wife of Naaman and said, you know, there's prophets and there's men of God in the land of Israel that could cleanse your husband. That, and there was a great prophet by the name of Elisha that was traveling around at the time. And he was, and, and so they said, if you want to become clean, you should send word to Israel, to the king of Israel. So the king of Syria actually sent a king to, or sent a messenger to the king of Israel in the process of these things being discussed. And so that to see if his general could come and be cleansed. This was obviously at a time when there was a ceasefire or they were at peace with each other. And so then he came, and, and so Naaman comes to, to Israel with great gifts. He comes with, with 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 talents of silver and 10 changes of clothing. And he brings all of these things to basically make gifts. And so what happens is that he comes and he finally meets up with the prophet, Elisha. And then he says, that, he says can, can I be cleansed? And Elisha sends messengers as well. They didn't actually like meet in person. And I don't know if this was because he was a leper or not. And he said, here's what you got to do to be clean. Go and wash yourself and bathe yourself in the Jordan River. And then you will become clean. And Naaman, he kind of threw his hands up in the air and he's like, what is this all about? And he actually says, he's like, aren't there greater rivers in Damascus? Why in the world would I come clean in your dirty Jordan River over here? And then that's what's going to make me clean. And so he gets ready to leave in a huff. But then the messengers of Elisha go to him and say, he says, look, if you want to be, if if he had been described some sort of crazy elaborate procedure to this great thing to make you clean, would you not have said, yeah, well, okay, that's what I'll do. And you would have done every step of the process. Maybe some elaborate temple sacrifice is what he would have done so that he might be made clean. But instead, Elisha says, just go bathe in the Jordan River. And so they say, if, you, if some crazy procedure had been mentioned, you would have done it. So why is something so simple you're refusing to do it? He had a change of heart. He went and he bathed in the Jordan River and then he became clean, as the prophet had, had said. And then he wished to, to, to give gifts and give riches and give all these things. And Elisha said, no, that's, that's not necessary. And go on your way. And this is this miracle of this man, this foreigner, becoming healed. Now, again, the prophet didn't say to, to him, oh, go check with the priest. Again, it wouldn't have been, it, it wouldn't have mattered by him checking with the priest because they would, didn't know how long he had been a leper, how he became a leper. He was never declared unclean in the first place. This wouldn't have been some great miracle to the priest because there's some guy that they didn't know what kind of leprosy he may have had. But what happens also later on is uh, there's another servant of Elisha. His name is uh, Gehazi. And so what he does is he then gets greedy by the gifts that Naaman was going to give. So what happens is he goes and runs out and chases after Naaman. And Naaman sees him, comes in and says, is everything okay? 
And then he said, give some sort of story about how there's, there, there's a need and, and, and there's, um, uh, there's two young men, some prophets in the mountains of Ephraim, and they, they need some silver and they need changes of clothes. Now, Naaman, who was being willing to give these things to him anyways as gifts, and he says, sure, here's two changes of clothes, here's two talents of silver, and go and give to, to the people who are in need. But what happens is this, is this was not approved by the prophet. And so then he asked and he said, hey, where did you go? And he said, I didn't go anywhere. But the prophet, knowing the word of the Lord, knowing what had happened, he then said this. The leprosy that was upon Naaman is now will be put upon you. And at the end of for Second Kings chapter 5, that's exactly what happens. In, in uh, Gehazi, he becomes unclean and his skin becomes white as snow. And so this is this amazing sort of story and things that we can continue to, to learn and, and glean from. That the, this idea of being cleansed is, you know, it really in our minds is not that complicated. It really isn't. And this is what we also say to people who become believers in Yeshua. We say, look, all you have to do is pray to the Lord and invite him into your heart. Invite him into your life so that you can receive the blessing and the salvation of his sacrifice. Now, most people, some people actually react to that and just say, that's it. That's all I got to do. Just like Naaman did. But the thing is this, it's all like, if you were truly looking for salvation and forgiveness from your sins, and somebody described some big elaborate procedure for you to do, and if you really had your heart into it, wanting to be saved, then you would go through it. Yes, it's really that simple. Now, what actually had to be done and what's going on behind the scenes spiritually there's a whole lot more to it that we need to recognize what the Messiah has done for us. He's taking that uncleanness. He's taking it upon himself so that we can be made clean, which is a miracle spiritually. And, 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 and we can't even understand and fathom why somebody would do that or take that upon themselves. Now, we can see how um, in our story here, we have this teaching about how somebody how this greed this idea of his, his greed to go and get some, some blessings out of this whole situation and being a part of it, that is what brought leprosy upon him. And so we have to make sure that we don't fall into that same trap as well. That it's all like, oh, we're, we're, we're in, uh, um, we're believers in God. We're a part of the commonwealth of Israel. We're a part of the community. We have all this advantage to, to knowing who the Messiah is and knowing the prophets of Israel and hearing from the word of the Lord and being to pray and, and give all these things. And then there's an advantage there that you're there and be like, oh, look at the temple treasuries that keep coming through here. Oh, maybe I can skim a little bit off the top and I can get some of that benefit right there. Or you, or, or you take advantage of the grace of God that he's given to you as a believer and then that's the pitfall that actually can cause leprosy to come upon you. You get found out in that situation and you're not going to be a part of the family of God anymore. You're not going to be in that community of faith anymore if you were to do something like that. So again, this connects back to this idea of the foreigner was not told to go to the priest, but people of Israel War, And so we also believe this contributed to the Pharisees desiring to kill Yeshua back in his day. They're sitting here in the, in, in the temple, and suddenly they get word. There's nine lepers coming over here that are, to, that are coming and saying they're clean. It's like, okay, we'll send some priests out and let's see what happens. Priests come back, and they're like, they actually are clean. Like, really? Weren't those those guys that were like full of leprosy and out there? They're like, yeah, but they're, they're clean. 
well, how in the world did this happen? So then they come and they probably had a story and testimony. And they're like, yeah, we met this guy, Yeshua, on the road. And we called to him and he made us clean. And then the Pharisees were like, who's this Yeshua guy that's cleansing the leper? And the, the religious authority at the time were like saying, oh, well, I thought we were the religious authority. We would be the ones that would declare somebody clean. Why, why in the world are they coming and saying that they're clean or that he made them clean? That obviously it was a sign that the Messiah was walking among them in that day. But the religious authority, the greed, they said, well, we got to get rid of that guy. Otherwise, the people are going to keep going to him for all of their religious uh, uh, doctrine and teaching and everything like that. And they're not going to be coming here. And so we believe this is one of those things that contributed to the, the, the Pharisees desiring to kill Yeshua. There's another uh, passage that I love to connect to uh, this story right here. It's not necessarily leprosy, but it does lend itself to the same sort of thing. And that comes from a couple of parables in a story that comes in Luke chapter 14. This is where the Yeshua was amongst uh, some brethren here. And what happens is that there is a man who has what's called dropsy. Now, this is not leprosy, but it is some other sort of physical condition that we believe that it has to do with one that retains water. And so then somebody has an unseemly appearance, basically, from their skin and, and looking a certain way. But it wasn't declared unclean by the priest, but it was this sort of affliction of this person. So let me go ahead and read here in Luke uh, chapter 14. Now, it happened when he went into the house in one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, and they watched him closely. Now, they're kind of keeping their eye on him here. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Yeshua answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. So he took him and he healed him and let him go. Then he answered to them and said, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox, having fallen to a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. So he told a parable to those who were invited, and he noted how they chose the best places sitting. When you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. And then when he who invited comes that he may say to you, friend, go up higher for you will have glory in the presence of him, of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is one of these amazing uh, lessons that come from the Lord here that is is talking about how it's like humble yourself be humble because if you do so then you will be exalted now he's doing all of this after they're they were this they were hesitant to this idea that you would do good for somebody on the sabbath or that you would do good for somebody who maybe he was like a servant in the house or he wasn't he, he wasn't as exalted as all the other people see he's sitting at a table and there's places of honor and obviously this person with the dropsy they didn't he didn't have any place of honor necessarily he said he was there but he's saying to them and talking about this how how if you exalt yourself you will be humbled and that it's not wrong to do good he tells another parable here, but I want to skip ahead to this one, and it's the, called the parable of the Great Supper, which begins in uh, verse 16 of chapter 14, where he says this, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. Uh, 
And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are ready now. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. And I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have brought, bought five yoke of oxen and we're going to test them. And I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house was angry. Being angry, said, uh, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my, my house may be filled. For I say to you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my supper. This is talking about the Messiah. Now, every time you see a parable and it's talking about the master, that's a good rule of thumb to think that this is about the God. And often, many of the things that he taught was about the kingdom of God. And so very, very easy to interpret this. What happens is that God is going to create his kingdom. He's going to invite many of his brethren to come to the kingdom. But they're going to make up some kind of excuse as to why they're not going to come. But that's not going to satisfy the Lord and the master of the house. And he's going to bring people in. His kingdom's going to be filled. And he's going to fill it with whoever he can find. Now, this is obviously why we have the story where it's like it's harder for uh, to pull a camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to see the, the kingdoms because they have all these reasons and excuses to not go. But the people who have no reasons or excuses to not go are the lowest of the low, the lame, the blind, the people who've been maimed, the people who aren't invited to great wedding feasts and things. But then even when they are invited in, there's still room to go. So where do the servants go? Out of the cities to the highways and the hedges. Well, out there on the highways and the hedges, you know what we would find? Leper colonies. People who, were, who, who have been cast out of society, out of the communities in the commonwealth of Israel. That's who you're going to find out there. And so this is what the, the, the master of the house is doing, and this is what the Lord is trying to teach us, is that those who have been, who have been sent low and who, who have been, been ostracized and basically left for dead, they are the ones who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Because through God, he has the ability to actually heal them, to make them clean. And that's what the Lord is going to do in future times in the kingdom. And so this idea of this, this idea of lepers, like we're talking about leprosy and all these people and be like, oh, there's a skin affliction. Yeah, I want to cast them out. No, actually, those are the ones, according to that parable, that are going to be in the kingdom. You yourself, you have to make sure, well, what are you doing to ensure your place in the kingdom? And that's that's the mistake that many of us uh, that many of us fall into. We have to learn to not ostracize those even when they seem like they shouldn't be there or shouldn't be allowed into the kingdom or that. And I don't know if we want to associate with the with those people. Those are usually the most humble people and might have the greatest relationship with the Lord better than yours. We need to remember that when we are amongst all the various people that we might run into in your communities, in your churches, in your fellowships, in your congregations. We have to, to, to know that and we have to remember that from the stories and the parables that teach us. And this whole subject is something that proves to us 
that Yeshua is the Messiah. Because he did these things. Whenever, when uh, John the Baptist was in prison and he sent word to, to Yeshua and he said, look, I, I've lived my life. Truly tell me, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that I promised me? Again, he, he still had this hesitation of this question. Or should I look to another? And Yeshua sent message, uh, a message back to John. And he said this, tell John, the blind can see, the lame can walk, and the leper has been cleansed. That is the proof. He didn't say, yes, I'm the Messiah. No, but he taught him that he was the Messiah. Because all of those things, again, can't be done by anyone except the Messiah. That's how we know he is the one true Messiah, that he's because he did these things. He has made perfect the law of Moses and all of these commandments having to do with a leper being cleansed. He took our uncleanliness upon him. And now back to this idea and this concept of trying to separate and understand that it's different from sin is different than being unclean. Jeremiah 33, 8 says this. It says, I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me. And I will pardon their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. Did you hear that? And right there in the middle, two separate things, cleansing them from their iniquity. And I will pardon their iniquities. There's a, there, there's, a, there's a separate thing here. Ezekiel 36, 25 says this. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all of your idols. This idea that the Lord is the one who cleanses us is the thing that we have to, we almost have to redefine our faith and our belief in the Messiah. That on one hand, the things that he does by taking our uncleanliness... He took that upon himself and that he had to be able to take those things. When, this concept also, this is a pitfall that some of us run into, especially here in the Messianic movement. This idea of the Messiah being perfect. That when people have questioned whether Yeshua could be the Messiah because, or that he can be God because he was a man. He was tempted in the wilderness by Hasatan. How, how can God be tempted? Of course he couldn't be God. God can't be tempted. But the thing is he made himself low and, 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 this, and the Messiah, Yeshua, he had to have a frail, mortal, imperfect body to be the Messiah to walk among us. He had to be able to become unclean. He had to be able to be tempted. Because if he can't, then what hope do we have? Seriously, how are we ever to have a testimony that we can overcome temptation if we don't have an example of it ever being overcome? That's what the Messiah did for us. He was tempted with those things. And because of his testimony of overcoming that temptation, that gives us the reason to then we need to be like him and overcome the temptation. Just like him, possible to become unclean. He touched the leper. Well, if he can't become unclean, then where is our uncleanliness supposed to go? How are we supposed to get rid of it? How are we ever going to become, become clean again? So that be, it's only because he can take those burdens upon his shoulders. 
and take it to make us clean. This is all, everything to do with leprosy here all connects us to our belief and our faith in Yeshua. I agree 100% with the rabbis. He has perfected and fulfilled the commandments associated with leprosy because he taught us what he's doing for us. Not just physically, but spiritually as well. That he spiritually makes us clean. Let me now go to uh, Isaiah chapter 53. Everybody knows, uh, is, is fairly familiar with this uh, passage where, you know, the rabbis have tried to dispute that this is talking about Israel and not talking about the Messiah. Except that doesn't hold water when you get um, some old manuscripts and what the rabbis of the first century used to think about this uh, passage. And the rabbis of the first century that you can read in the Mishnah Torah, they very much thought Isaiah 53 was about the Messiah. So the idea that this isn't about the Messiah is a modern concept trying to dispute Christianity. So let's just sort of set that aside. Isaiah 53 happens to be about the Messiah. So let's read this. <clears throat> Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. And he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and equated with grief. And we hid as if, um, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. For he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Did you really catch that here where we esteemed him, the Messiah, the people of the day in, in the first century, esteemed him as to be stricken or smitten by God or afflicted. This is exactly how a leper would be treated. Because you'd look over there and you'd be like, that person is stricken by God. That person's afflicted. I'm so glad I'm not the one who's afflicted, but that person is. This is exactly what was associated with the Messiah. That we were not, that, that he was rejected by men, that we, he, we saw no beauty in him. This is one of the things that we always, um, that I, I like to point out, my father has for many years as well. That, that Yeshua, when he walked this earth, probably was not the best looking guy. Probably was not the most handsome looking guy. You know, I know in all the in all the movies, they always find the most handsome looking actor to play the Messiah. Usually some blonde British guy. But what they find what well, truly in, in ancient times, he was not he was not the, uh, seemly in his appearance. You wouldn't just see him and be like, wow, look at that guy over there. When they went to go arrest him, they needed somebody to point out who he was because he looked like just one of the other common men. He was not esteemed by us, and he was, but he actually might have appeared stricken. He might have appeared not like, it's about, that's the guy? That's the Messiah? I've been hearing all these things about Yeshua walking this earth and healing all these people, and you finally go up and meet the guy, and you're like, that's him? That's the one we've been looking for? See, this, is, this all goes back to truly what the Messiah did for us. 
that he brought himself low. He humbled himself and walked this earth so that we might so that we might have the Messiah. That's what God did for us. Man, we we have to we have to look at this and we we truly have to associate our lives with this concept of a leper being cleansed. See, in our own lives, we know we know the sins that we commit. We know how bad a person we are. In fact, there, there might be some things that we do. We know we do. We repent of our sins. But then we always wonder and question and be like, be like, look, if the Lord really wanted to judge me because of that sin, I really wouldn't have a case to stand on. You can go back in your life and know something that maybe something you did probably. And you just be like, you know, it's like, Lord, I pray that you forgive me. And, and you pray constantly that he might forgive you for that because you still think in your mind, I don't know if I'm ever going to be forgiven for that mistake that I've made. And you might think, you're like, you know, if anybody really found that out about me, I'd, I'd be a leper. Nobody would associate with me if they knew what sin I, I did or I committed. And so we all constantly look inside ourselves and, and know that perhaps we should be declared a leper because we're the ones who know the thoughts and intents of our hearts and know the sins and the mistakes that we made. If it was our declaration to make, and if we were being honest, we'd declare ourselves unclean. But here we have this teaching that a leper can be cleansed. And that we associate that with what the Messiah can do. So that when we confess our faith in the Messiah, let us associate it. With the idea of a leper being cleansed, spiritually in your mind. I've talked uh, many weeks about how there's a temple inside of us, a tabernacle inside of us. And whenever we go into our prayer closets and we spiritually go into this tabernacle to worship the Lord, to be in his presence, and we submit to the high priest, who is Yeshua, who we've invited in to be our intercessor between us and God. When we read these Torah commandments about these sacrifices and the leper being cleansed, I would submit that we should go spiritually into our hearts and look and see, has the Lord truly made us clean? And then if he has, if, if, if we feel like we truly have repented of our sins and that all the signs of that sin have now been removed, do we go spiritually and consecrate ourselves? Cutting away all the things and all the parts of us that, 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 that kind of linger on, just like the leper, he had to shave all of his hair. And he's consecrated for seven days so that he could be exalted. When was the last time you ever did some sort of thing and then you really took the time to repent of your sin and to truly think about what you've done? And we should spiritually consecrate ourselves for seven days when we're truly thinking about a great sin that we've committed that we feel we probably should have contracted leprosy for. What we should do is we should take a period of time. And let the Lord cleanse us. Let him speak into us, speak over us, declare us clean. Let us make our sacrifices so that we can be back into the presence of God. Sacrifices of praise, sacrifices of prayer. So that we can become alive again. See, that's what we're trying to do. We feel like the only reason why a lot of people turn to the Lord and confess their faith in God and become a believer in the first place is because they feel like they're dead, like they're not accomplishing anything, that they're just walking this earth just to die. But you confess a faith in God, and he makes you alive again. 
That's what, that's everything to do with the cleansing of the leper. That's what it had to do because when these people were cleansed, it was like them becoming alive again. Let me submit to you again also that God made us originally. He made us perfect. He made us holy. It is the things that we do that often make us unclean, that make us impure, that make us unholy. We're to be holy as he is holy. He's made us holy. It's our job to remain that way. Now, if I can just sum up the rest of our Torah portion here, I spent a long time talking about that. But I do want to talk about it. also includes Leviticus chapter 15, talking about other things that makes you unclean. These are other things that you, I don't know if you can necessarily classify them as sins. Where you're talking about if someone has some sort of discharge, a discharge of blood or a discharge of some other kind of fluid here. that if There's procedures on how to wash his clothes and then he'll be unclean for a certain period of time. That if there's uh, an emission of semen, it somebody to be unclean. So when a husband uh, has relations with his wife, he suddenly become unclean. Is that a sin? Of course not. In the context of marriage, but it is unclean. Now, the whole goal is for us to remain in the presence of God, that we will, there's processes and things that we will do that will make us unclean. Everybody will bleed at some point in time, makes you unclean. Everybody will have some sort of uh, discharge or omission or something uh, that, that will happen in your life, and it will be unclean. You have to wash yourselves and make yourselves clean again. This is sort of a simple idea or a simple procedure of how we were clean, we became unclean. We need to just become clean again. Okay? Now, a little bit more complicated than that. We are holy. We're holy. We sin. We remove ourselves from the presence of God. It's our job to come back into the presence of God so that we can be holy again. It's the same concept. Sin and uncleanliness. It's similar. But they're not exactly the same thing. That's what I hope that we can learn from this passage of Scripture here. That we can become clean again. The Lord can wash us clean from all of our uncleanliness, all the things and the sins that we've committed in our lives and and, and all the mistakes that we've made. There is a road back. Because if there is a procedure that can bring a leper back to life inside of a community, then there is a procedure and a prayer and a power in God that can bring you back from wherever you have gone. If we don't have this testimony, then that means there are people walking this earth that there is no hope for them whatsoever. First of all, that's not our judgment to make. That's up to the Lord to decide. What we actually have to do and function in our lives is know that it is possible for them to be cleansed. Look, we don't know the thoughts and intents of their heart. God has, has declared, and probably God is the judge of all, and he knows who's walking the earth, who are his people, and who's not his people. He knows the thoughts and intents of their hearts. He knows what, what sin. He knows why they have leprosy or don't have leprosy or whatever. He knows all those things. We don't. The only thing we can do and operate as is knowing that there's a procedure for one to become clean. We don't have to know why or what sins they, they have, but we know that they can be redeemed and they can be brought back into the commonwealth of Israel. Ultimately, that's God's judge. God's, God is the judge of those things, and it's God's job to make them clean, to remove those things. What we then have to be ready to do is welcome them if they have been declared clean. Because there's always those people that was probably in that community. When the leper came back in, 
and he was now being made clean. He's coming back into the community. There was always somebody that probably said, wait a minute. That guy did something horrible and terrible, and he had leprosy. How dare he come back into this community? There's always people like that that would argue with that. Even though he's doing everything proper according to Scripture, somebody's going to say something about him and speak over him. Well, got to be mindful of that because that's the thing that can put leprosy on you, and maybe the roles might be reversed. We have to learn that there is a means for the leper to be cleansed. There is a means for those who are unclean, who are unholy, who have made huge mistakes in their life, and it's written all over their faces. There is a means, by the power of God and the Messiah, for them to come back to the family of God. That's all we need to know. And we need to just trust in God and, 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 and know that our power belongs to God and God alone and submit to that and not try to think that we're going to say something over them. So may I submit for us to remain clean and holy as best we can so that we can remain in the presence of God and that we continue to follow him and that we continue to operate in these communities and the fellowships that Lord has put us in so that we might be blessed with one another, that we learn to treat one another, and that we are, find a means to keep the second greatest commandment, to love our neighbor as ourself, and not just the first one of loving God. We're all in this together in the commonwealth of Israel and the family of God, and pray that we would keep the camp clean among us. Amen? Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We thank you for this teaching and the instruction of the cleansing of the leper, Father, for giving a means, the Father, for resurrection, a means for us to be uh, brought back into the family of Israel, even when we have sinned greatly, Lord. Father, I pray that you would keep our hearts clean, you keep our minds clean, keep us focused on your word and your instruction in all things, Lord. We love you and bless you and thank you for all of these instructions, Father, as you um, continue to, to teach us, Lord. Father, I pray that Scripture would be made alive and new every single week, every single day, that we study it and we teach it, Lord. Father, I pray that we would always find something new, something we haven't heard before, and that we would be encouraged in our walk. So we love you and bless you and thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. And now the blessing after the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher natan lanu Torah temet V'chayalam natah betocheinu Baruch atah Adonai nonten ha-Torah ha-Amen Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the sun has set on a Friday night, bringing peace into your home. Families will gather all around, singing Shabbat Shalom. Everybody sing Shalom. Put a smile upon your face He's got the whole world in his hands So obey his commands And you will know peace Shalom